Amen. Thank y'all, praise team, for leading us in a time of worship, being reminded of all, again, all the promises that this season brings for us. It really is a joy just to be reminded that God is with us, Emmanuel. If you have your Bibles, I hope you brought those with you today, a copy of God's Word. Uh, Go ahead and turn them to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. I'm just going to go ahead and be up front with you here. Uh, This is sort of the launching point, the text that is, where we're going to be. We're we're really going to kind of jump around a lot, mostly in Isaiah. uh, And Isaiah chapter 7 is where we're going to begin. So go ahead and turn there. We're going to begin or or continue, I should say, our Christmas sermon series, Carols of Christmas, by looking at the carol that we just sung, we just sung that being, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But before we do that, would you go to the Lord with me in a time of prayer? Let's, Let's pray as we begin this morning. Father, we are so grateful, God, that we know that you are with us. God, you have sent your Son to dwell among us, God, his, his life, his sacrifice and resurrection for us, God, has given us the gift of salvation, of eternal life. God, help us to be reminded of that truth. Father, I pray that as we look at this carol, as we look at some of its lyrics and, and what these lyrics mean in our lives today, Father, I pray that we would be reminded of the truths that are found in them. God, they're birthed right out of Scripture. And Father, I hope that we can see that today. God, I pray that I would be able to communicate it in a way that would be understanding. God, in a way that would penetrate our hearts, God, our lives, to understand that that Emmanuel is God with us. He is with us now. He was with us 2,000 years ago, but he is with us now, present day. And Father, for that we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is undoubtedly the oldest Christmas carol that we sing today. Uh, its roots, its roots kind of have some Latin roots in it, and we really don't know exactly who the author was that wrote it, but what we do know, or what's assumed at least, is that a priest or a monk uh, probably most likely wrote this carol in the year 800 A.D. Uh, and what this carol does... What it's going to do, it encapsulates the glorious incarnation of Christ by highlighting the mission of why he came to earth. And I know we just sung this carol, but let's just look at the lyrics one more time. I'm actually going to reference a a verse that we did not sing, but let's look at this lyrics one, one more time to help us understand what this carol is about. It says, O come, O come, Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel. That mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. O come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Now as I've looked at this carol, this song for these past several days in preparation for this message, I've been reminded that we are living in a a moment of redemptive history where we are in between the two advents of Christ. You and I are living in between the two advents of 
Christ. For example, right now we are celebrating what we would call the first advent of Christ as we remember that through Jesus' birth, through His life, through His death, through His resurrection, we receive salvation. But at the same time, we as believers today, we are also waiting to celebrate the second advent of Christ because we're promised in God's word that Jesus is going to one day come back. He's going to restore his creation. He's going to make all things new. He's going to vanquish the enemy. He's going to break the curse of sin forever. And we're going to be with him in heaven forevermore. So there is this sort of tension and anticipation that I believe this song is addressing here. Let me just kind of say it like this because this is the angle uh, that I want us to take as we view this carol today. This is, this is kind of my, my summation of my sermon in one sentence. So if you're not going to listen for the next 30 minutes, then listen to this because this is my sermon, okay? It's this. Since Emmanuel has already come, we can receive the comfort of knowing we have access to him now while waiting for his promise returned in the future. So again, there there is this idea that we know that Emmanuel has already come and we celebrate in his first coming, but there is also this tension and this anticipation that Jesus is going to come again. Now what I want us to do today, quite simply, and we're going to do this through this carol, but what I want us to do today is to try to unpack and better understand that statement because you see the word Emmanuel really is the key in that statement. Obviously, it's the focal point in the carol, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But do we really know what this word means? I mean, do we really know what the word Emmanuel means? Do we really understand what this word Emmanuel encompasses in our lives? And do we really appreciate the wonder and the beauty of this word Emmanuel, not only at Christmas, but in each and every day of our lives as well. You see, I'm afraid, and this is probably true for several of the carols we sing, but I'm afraid that there are some of us here today or who are watching online, and we may know the lyrics of this carol like the back of our hand, but we don't truly understand the power, the weight, the authority of the words that we're singing in our lives. And so what I want us to do today is I want to hopefully help us to better understand this song. Particularly, what we're going to really focus on is this word, Emmanuel. I want us to understand what this word, Emmanuel, is. And to do that, what I want us to talk about is three things as it relates to this word. I want to talk about, first, the meaning of Emmanuel. The meaning, sort of the history of Emmanuel, how it came to be, what it is. Secondly... I want, to talk, I want to talk about the mission of Emmanuel, why he came, and then that's thirdly going to bring us to the last point that we'll look at today, and that is the majesty of Emmanuel, the meaning of Emmanuel, the mission of Emmanuel, and the majesty of Emmanuel. So let's begin by looking at the meaning of Emmanuel. Again, the opening lyrics of this carol is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's a direct reference to Isaiah 7, 14, the passage that I had you turn to, when the word of God says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, this passage has a, a beautiful, is nestled beautifully in a context. And the context in the immediacy of Isaiah chapter 7 is verses 10 through 17. Therefore, this verse, verse 14, it's right in the middle of those verses. And let me just take a moment uh, to set up this context for you so that you can really understand the, the meaningful reality of this prophecy that, that the prophet Isaiah is presenting us in Isaiah chapter 7. You see, at that time, the, the king of Judah in Israel was a man named Ahaz. Uh, early on in Ahaz's reign as king, Ahaz really kind of took some blows. Uh, he took some, some really kind of key defeats and some battles from from neighboring countries and neighboring enemies that he was at war with, which would have been quite a tough pill for a young king like Ahaz to swallow. But to make matters worse, there is now a a new threat in the land. There is now a new threat for some other country to come into the land, to to come and to finish him off, to, to conquer the nation of Israel. And Ahaz is feeling fearful. He's feeling afraid. Yet in his power and in his sovereignty, the Lord is raising up the prophet Isaiah to speak directly to Ahaz so that Ahaz will not forsake God and his protection by seeking an unholy alliance with a neighboring pagan nation called Assyria. Because you see, the Assyrians, they've approached Ahaz. And they've basically come to Ahaz and said, listen, we're, going to, we're willing to come in, to step in, to protect you and your land for a nominal fee. But if you know anything about the Assyrians, then you're going to know that they have hidden motives in that offer because they are the very enemies of God themselves. So what's happening here in Isaiah 7 is God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz. And what God is doing through Isaiah is he's trying to show King Ahaz that he is with them during this time to the point where God is willing to give King Ahaz a sign to prove that he is indeed with them. Yet as verse 12 shows, King Ahaz is unwilling to take God up on this offer. And in essence, his reasoning is that God is sovereign. God is holy. And so Ahaz is basically saying, well, I shouldn't shouldn't test God in those ways. And listen, that sounds really humble and meek, right? I mean, that sounds pretty spiritual, though. Oh, I shouldn't test God. God's holy. He's sovereign. But the reality of it is this. The reality of it is that his answer is actually based on false humility. And the reason why we know it's based on false humility is because we know that Ahaz has made an alliance with the Assyrians. So in other words, King Ahaz knew that a sign from God would uncover his own hypocrisy. And at the same time, he knew that it would show that he does not trust God altogether. Now, before we start pointing and shaking our finger at Ahaz, can we just stop and acknowledge something for a moment? Can we just acknowledge that oftentimes we are guilty of doing the same thing too? Can can we just recognize and realize that oftentimes we ask God to show us His will for us in our lives, knowing good and well we're not going to obey unless it aligns with our own selfish motives and ambitions. 
You see, what we need to remind ourselves of this morning is that oftentimes we're no better than even the lowliest character in the Bible. But what I love about our God is that despite our flaws, despite our failures, God is still faithful. He's still true. And what he does for Ahaz is he still gives Ahaz a sign. A sign that obviously he benefited from them, but also a sign that you and I benefit from today as well, as we just read a few minutes ago in verse 14. Because you see, in that day, God reminded Ahaz and the rest of the nation that he would be with his people, as that is what the name Emmanuel means. God is with us. But for us, what's so beautiful about this prophecy is that we find the fulfillment of it in Matthew 1 when the angel of the Lord says, She, that being Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, which we now know was found in Isaiah 7, 14. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As we look at this passage, can we just say it's a little bit confusing? Because what we have here are two different names, right? I mean, in verse 21, Scripture tells us that that Mary is going to give birth to a son and that she is to call him Jesus. But then in verse 23, Scripture tells us that his name is Emmanuel, which is also the name given to him in this carol that we just sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And then just to kind of make it even more confusing, Isaiah 9 says this, says that he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called Mighty God. He'll be called Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. So which one is it? What name are we to call? Are we to call him Jesus? Are we to call him Emmanuel? Are we to call him Wonderful Counselor or Mighty God or Everlasting Father or Prince of Peace? Which one do we call him? What is his name? Well, let me remind you that the only name the Son of God went by while he walked on this earth 2,000 years ago was the name Jesus That was the name that was given to him in the New Testament, and that is the name that he went by as he went and ministered to the people with his disciples, which tells us that all those other names given to Jesus in the Bible are names used to describe who he is. In other words, his name is Jesus, but he is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He is a Prince of Peace, and he is Emmanuel because through Jesus, God has come to dwell with his people. For Jesus is God made man. It is a prophecy fulfilled. Okay, so now that we understand the sort of the backstory, the meaning behind this name Emmanuel, let's take it up a notch and help us to understand this second thing the mission of Emmanuel. The mission of Emmanuel, because the question is this, right? The question is this. If Emmanuel represents God coming down from heaven to be with us, as we've just learned, why then would he do such a thing? I mean, why? Why would Jesus leave the riches of heaven to be with us on the poverty of this earth? Well, the beautiful thing about this carol that we just sang is it highlights two main reasons, I believe, why 
Emmanuel came. And the first reason that he came, one of the reasons why he came is to ransom the spiritually enslaved, the, the, the exiled. Okay, that's the first reason why he came. As the song says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. You see, these lyrics are a direct reference to Isaiah 35.10 when it says this. It says, And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and singing will, sorrow and singing will flee. Now, to understand this passage, what we've got to understand is the history of Israel. Because you see, early on, Israel, they made a covenant with God to, to follow Him, to worship Him and Him alone, but they ended up forsaking that covenant because they got wrapped up in all these other sins, all these other idolatries as they're worshiping other gods in neighboring countries. So because of that, God allowed them to be taken captive, to be enslaved by the Babylonians, and they were there for a period of 70 years. And then once those 70 years were up, God released them from exile, and he brought them back to the promised land. And that's why Isaiah 35.10 says they will return to Zion singing with unending joy because they've just been freed and being prisoners, and God seems to have his favor upon them again. They're excited. They're they're excited about what God is doing. So they're singing in joy, being released from exile, going back to the land of Israel. But while all of that might have been true, the reality is that as the years went by, as the decades went by, the people of Israel, they were getting caught up in the same old things. They began to worship other gods again. They began to oppress the poor and the widows They began to live a life that was far from the life that God had called them to live. And as a result, they became enslaved again, except this time it wasn't by the Babylonians, but it was by the power of sin and Satan himself. In other words, while they might have been physically freed from being a prisoner and being a slave from the Babylonians, they were now spiritually in prison and in bondage to their sins. And church, don't miss this because this is where their story meets our story. Because like the people of Israel, we experience this spiritual enslavement too. Like Israel, we're held hostage by our sins. Like Israel, we're held captive as as spiritual prisoners by the forces of Satan himself. And this is exactly why Emmanuel had to come. Because only by the power of God can the power of sin and Satan and death be defeated. But the good news of the gospel is that through Jesus, this is exactly what took place. Because as Matthew 20, verse 28 says, says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Church, do you realize what that word ransom means? Think about that word ransom for a moment. It literally means an exchange of currency where someone is making a payment to buy a slave so that they can be released from prison. That's what a ransom is. In other words, the slave is so helpless and so hopeless on their own 
because they realize they don't have the power or the authority or the means to free themselves from being a prisoner. So they have to depend on someone else to come in and to offer up or to pay a ransom on their behalf so that they can be free. And get this, Jesus is that ransom for us. Jesus is that ransom for us, except this ransom was so great that no amount of money could ever pay us out of this prison cell of sin that we found ourselves in. And knowing that, Jesus took our place on the cross and not only died for us, but died instead of us, because instead of us facing the just wrath of God for our sins, Jesus bore all of that on the cross. He paid this ransom so that we could be freed from the power of sin and death and Satan himself. He has given us salvation in our lives through his sacrifice. So he's come to ransom the spiritually enslaved. That would have been true for Israel for biblical times then, but it is also true for us now. But there is another reason why I believe Emmanuel has come. He's also come to restore the spiritually weary and worn. This is the second reason I believe Emmanuel has come. Look look at the next verse of this carol with me. It says, O come thou day spring, come and cheer. Our Our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and deaf dark shadows put to flight. Now I want to highlight, and I have highlighted there, the word dayspring that the writer of this carol pins here because honestly it's, it's a word that we don't use or say anymore. And as, I'm, I'm, as a result, I'm afraid it's kind of lost its meaning over time. And quite honestly, it's a shame because this is a very, very powerful word. See, the word dayspring, listen to this, the word dayspring, it represents dawn. It represents the early parts of morning. It represents that moment in the, the early part of the day where the sun is just first kind of rising over the horizon. So you have the darkness of the night, but then those, those first kind of rays pierce the darkness, and the darkness disperses as a result, and there is sunlight. And you see, the beauty of this verse is that the first coming of Emmanuel represents this day spring as the power and light of his birth. It disperses the darkness of sin and death in this world. But as I mentioned to you earlier, you and I live in a moment where we are in between the two advents of Christ. So yes, while we celebrate the birth of Jesus and the day spring that his birth and his life represents we at the same time long to celebrate his second coming as well because let's be honest, sometimes the storm clouds of this life, they can roll in so thick that it feels like they blocked out the sun forever. And I can't help but think about the Thompsons as I say this because if anyone has felt the effects of this firsthand, it's, it's them, right? I mean, it's them. The storm clouds of life have rolled in so thick to the point where you just feel like you can't even see the sun, the, the day spring. I mean, I mean, what do you do when you hear news like that? Worse yet, what do you do when you're living in that nightmare day after day after day, not knowing what to think, let alone what to expect? 
I can only imagine what they're having to go through right now to, to not only have to physically endure, but to also have to emotionally endure, to spiritually have to endure that as their faith is being tested day after day after day after day. But you know, as I've talked to the Thompson family over these past few days, I've been amazed by their stamina. I have been amazed by their strength during this difficult time. Sure, they're worried. Sure, they're concerned. Sure, they're nervous about what the future holds, as they should be, as all of us are. But I have been blown away by their steadfast faith in the Lord. And not one time have I noticed them giving up faith. Not one time have I noticed them forsaking God. In fact, just the other day, I was calling Johnny. I knew Johnny had, had kind of been struggling. He was going through some hard times, as all of them are. And I, I, was, I called Johnny the other day just to try to encourage him, just to try to remind him of some spiritual truths that I felt like might be helpful, that he could cling to during this time. And I'll just tell you, I walked away from that conversation being the one that was encouraged instead. Because during our conversation, during our time on the phone, Johnny was just demonstrating to me a certain level of faith, of trust and obedience and hope in the Lord. And I'm sure many of you know exactly what I'm talking about as you've reached out to other members of this family during this time. It's been amazing to see their faith. Church, what I want you to recognize and realize today is that that is not natural. That is not normal. They shouldn't be like that. They should be mad. They should be angry. They should be upset. They should shake their fists and say, God, why are you doing those things? I mean, how how can a family be so strong and unwavering in their faith when it's literally just being tested day after day? Well, listen, I don't know about you, but as I've thought about this, and I know I'm kind of speaking on behalf of the family right now, so again, Thompson's, if I'm wrong, then just write in the comment section. But on behalf of the family, as I think about this, I think both the Thompsons and I would agree that the only way that they can have this level of strength, this level of hope and and faith is through one word, Emmanuel. I think that's what they would say. God is with us. Emmanuel. See, through Jesus... We not only see that that he is with us as he walked the earth 2,000 years ago to pay a debt and to be a ransom for our sins. But as believers today, we also experience his comfort, his presence. Because through Jesus, we have been given access to the Holy Spirit to come to invade into our lives, to, to counsel us, to strengthen us, to give us hope and encouragement. And I believe that is exactly while the Thompson family is demonstrating this type of faith and belief because the Spirit of God is with them and is ministering to them in a powerful way, in a way that only He can. Okay, so yes, while the storm clouds of life, they're going to sometimes roll into our lives to the point where we can't even see the sun anymore. We need to remember, though, that God is still with us, that God has not left us. It's like when you walk outside one day or a couple of days, right, and it's really cloudy, and you're like, gosh, where is the sun? Is the sun even there? And, the sun, and then the clouds finally roll back, and you see the sun. Well, in the same way, Jesus is that sun. Jesus has never left us, even in the storm clouds of life. 
God will never leave or forsake His children. He's going to strengthen and comfort them in times of need. And because of this, we can be in awe of our Savior and Lord. Can we, can we just recognize and realize this and just worship God? Just worship Emmanuel for all of these things that He has done on our behalf. Or just to say it another way, hopefully we can recognize the majesty of Emmanuel. Hopefully this, this reality helps us to see the majesty of Emmanuel. Let me just show you this one last time in this carol. The lyrics say, O come thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. This is a clear reference to heaven. And what I love about it is that that phrase, key of David, it points us back to Isaiah 22, 22, when the word of the Lord says, I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. Church, what this means is that all kingdom authority, all kingdom power, it's placed on Messiah's shoulders because it's only on his shoulders that he can take that type of weight and responsibility. And so when we say that Jesus is the key of David, what that means is that he is the key that unlocks the door to heaven. But not only is he the door that, that unlocks, the, or not only is he the key that unlocks the door to heaven, he's also the pathway that leads to heaven. And not only is he the pathway that leads to heaven, he's the very door to heaven itself. See, it's the majesty and the exclusivity of Christ alone that can lead the sinful mass into a right relationship with their Father who created them. He's the one that said in John 14 too, I go away to prepare a place for you. And he is the one building this dwelling place for those who have embraced their faith in him. So as we begin to close out our time today, let me just remind you of this truth. Hopefully it's a truth that, that since Emmanuel has already come, we can receive the comfort of knowing that we have access to him now while waiting for His promised return in the future. We can receive the comfort of knowing we have access to Him now because we know that He has already come to ransom us from the punishment of our sins and He has come to restore us and give us strength in times of need. And because of this, and the promises that He gives us in His Word, we can trust and know that one day we will see Him again. One day Jesus will return. He will bring us into our heavenly home. And church, what a joyous day that will be. I know I referenced this passage, I believe, two weeks back. But I want to reference it to you again. It's found in Revelation 21. And it describes our heavenly home. It describes this dwelling place that I just mentioned. And it says this beginning in verse 3. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. What a clear reference to Emmanuel. God with us, God dwelling with us. They will be with his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. 
because the previous things have passed away. Church, through Christ's first coming, we can have a faith and a hope, knowing that God has come to dwell with His people. He's come to ransom us from our sins, and through the Holy Spirit, He's come to restore our faith in times of need, and for that we rejoice. But let us not forget that there is coming a day when He will return. There's coming a day when Jesus will make all things new. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more grief, no more suffering, because He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And on that day, we will be ushered into His kingdom forevermore. And for that, we can sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, we are so amazed by the access that you've given us through your son, Jesus. Father, we are so undeserving. God, time and time and time again, God, we've sinned against you. We've fallen short of what you've called us to do or what you've called us to be. God, we've forsaken you, but not one time have you done those things to us. In fact, you've done just the opposite because as we've run away from you time and time again, God, you're running after us. To the point where you've given us your son Jesus, God in the flesh, to come and dwell with us on this earth. God, you've come to, to ransom us from our sins. You've come to given us to give us access to salvation and to receive the Holy Spirit in our lives so that when the storm clouds of life come in, God, you can be our day spring. You can give us the power and the strength that only comes from you. Father, may we be in all of that. May we be reminded that though you have already come, we can receive the comfort of knowing that you are with us now. God, we can hold on to this promise that there is going to be a day when you will return again. You will make all things new. You will restore heaven and earth, and God, you will give us a new body, and we will dwell among with you. God, there will be no more hurting, no more tears, no more shame, no more grief, no more sin. As you will come to make all things new, and for that we are thankful, we are grateful, and we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. God, thank you for being with us now. Thank you for the promises, knowing that you're going to be with us every day of our lives and in the future forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing during a time of closing, a time of reflection, of invitation, response, however you see fit. And I don't know what it is for you today. Maybe for you, you've just kind of realized that God has not been with you. You've not asked Jesus to come into your life. You've not, you've not asked Jesus to, to come and, and dwell with you. You've not asked Him to come and be your Savior and Lord. And maybe you're here today and you recognize that there is this void in your life that you cannot do this on your own. Church, we live in a day where if we don't have this hope, it, it can be so defeating, so depressing. But God, He gives us a hope. He gives us a peace and a faith and a strength through his son Jesus. And so maybe you need to receive that today.
Maybe for others of you here today, you need to just come down to this altar and you need to, you need to pray about something. Maybe you need to, need to pray for the Thompson family. I know we've kind of already done that before, but maybe you want to take this time to pray for them. Or, or maybe it's another family member that you're praying about. Maybe it's some physical sickness. Maybe it's a spiritual sickness in your own life or in their life. Maybe you just need to come and give that over to the Lord, knowing that He is with you. He is Emmanuel. And that He will be with that person or that individual in that time of need as well. Perhaps for others of you, it's some other decision that you need to make. Maybe you want to come and make this church your home, or maybe you just need to come and and get um, prayer from from me or from someone else. However God is leading you and guiding you and directing you to respond, I pray that you would do that right now.